1979. Just when you thought scenes couldn't get unnecessarily longer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> And I'm a sucker for a good vampire film. And my name is Casey, and I am just a sucker. Hey. <laughs> but for reals, Casey writes and studies scripts and produces and acts in films, and I think she is a damn genius. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and um, Sarah Marie, she just really likes vampires. This is Bloodsuckers, a podcast where we endeavor to watch every vampire film we can get our fangs in. And as super fans and filmmakers, we are pumping you full of our own special brand of heroin, i.e. commentary and opinions and stuff. So suck it up and listen in. Tonight, we are watching Nosferatu the Vampire, the 1979 Werner Herzog remake of 1922's Nosferatu the vampire and let me tell you ladies gentlemen and they's and themsers was it a wild ride casey in your own words please synopsize this film okay sure a real estate agent travels to a faraway land to strike a deal with a mysterious man only to be met by a dark fate that's very lovely oh thank you okay but for reals though casey if you had to summarize this film for someone like i want the casey sammy experience you want the hot mess version yeah i want the no i want the casey sammy experience okay the casey sammy experience is that again this is nosferatu but it's dracula but it's nosferatu anyways this guy harker is sent to Transylvania to get this count to sign real estate contracts for a new house because we all know that's how that works. Gets there and it's real awkward. There's am like I like if I didn't know better, I would say it was sexual tension. <laughs> Sometimes it was there was some animosity, but it was all pretty silent. It was just in the body posture and the curled fingernails, right? So uh, he signs the documents and then his blood gets sucked because who knew the Count was a vampire? I had no idea. I had no idea. And then they have to race back to London so that he can save his wife, Lucy, from this vampire. Why he thinks the vampire is going to get Lucy, we don't know. Anyways, he races back to London. The vampire gets there first. He starts killing people. Everybody thinks it's a plague, but... Because Lucy becomes a badass at the end, she sacrifices herself in order to kill the Nosferatu and save London. But it wasn't London, it was like Germany. Oh yeah. Same, uh, same, 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 but same. different. Same, same, but different. Okay, Casey. I just assumed it was London the whole time, even though they were speaking German. Are you ready to read the real storyline? As brought to us by imdb.com. That's right, the internet movie database. Oh, this is a PG film? What? And yeah, that's why they pulled her skirt down at the end. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, Jonathan Harker is sent away to Count Dracula's castle to sell him a house 
in Wismar, where Jonathan lives. But Count Dracula is a vampire, an undead ghoul living off of man's blood. Inspired by a photograph of Lucy Harker, Jonathan's wife, Dracula moves to Wismar, bringing with him death and plague, an unusually contemplative version of Dracula in which the vampire bears the curse for not being able to get old and die. Okay, I've got some questions. Jonathan goes to Dracula's castle to sell him a house in Wismar, where Jonathan lives, and then, inspired by a photograph of Lucy... Dracula moves to Wismar. Yeah, that is incorrect. It's both both of those things don't make sense. He was going to go there anyways. He think he just wanted to go faster. He was like, oh, that, that bitch is hot. Yeah, she got a neck. Yeah, and also they just made him the sympathetic character because twice in the movie he was like, can you imagine never being able to get old and die? <sighs> I don't want to get into it too heavily, but there's something real fucked up about this whole sympathizing for the rapist situation that we have going on here. Uh, well, that and it was just wildly incorrect. I never felt sympathy for him the whole time. Yeah, the whole time! Well, um, he just had this, like, droopy dog face the he whole did. time. He's like, mm, I, um, I can't die. He did have an air of not being less terrifying and more miserable. Mm. This is true. Very pouty. Which, I, to me, is classic abuser. Like, oh, yeah. I'm sad. Classic abuser. I'm going to kill you and it's fine. Oh, I'm sad about it. Can we also talk about how they never really talk about why he wanted to move away from his solitude and suddenly come back into, quote unquote, modern life? In you know what? It doesn't really, it doesn't really talk about it in Dracula either. Like, Jonathan Harker goes to Transylvania and is like, yeah, there's this old count and he wants to start, like buying real estate in London and like maybe he ran out of food like he killed the whole town and was like oh fuck I gotta go yeah I don't know you know it's like he set his new year's resolution (laughs) I'm gonna reinvent myself I'm gonna be a new person Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna do it in Wismar yeah Wismar okay you ready for some trivia yeah let's do it Klaus Kinski had to spend approximately four hours per day in makeup. Fresh latex earpieces had to be poured for each day of shooting because they were destroyed at removal. Kinski, notorious for his violent daily temper tantrums, had a very good relationship with Japanese makeup artist Renko Kruk and was exceedingly patient and well-behaved during makeup. What? Aww. Four hours in makeup? There was, like, no latex on that man. For It was his ears, his weird ears. I guess he had a bald cap and ears, but, like, somebody could do that now in 30 minutes. That's insane. Yep. For a man who had a bad temper... He played, like, the most docile, calm role. It's interesting that you mentioned that, right? So, okay, while Kinski wanted to play Dracula as more energetic, Herzog would provoke Kinski into a massive tantrum so he would be exhausted when the time came to shoot his scene. So he exa- he purposefully got him into a tantrum so yeah. that he would be exhausted later? Yeah. That's because, so manipulative. Because, yeah, but apparently Klaus Kinski was a real motherfucker to work with. And apparently he was if you could, like, trigger him into a tantrum whenever you wanted to. Well, and it says, it's been stated by Werner Herzog that the rats that appear in the film behaved better than Klaus Kinski during the shoot. Wow. I know. Okay, what's next? 
Procuring rats for the film proved difficult, though the production eventually procured a large quantity from a scientific research facility. Aw, boo! When shipped to Holland for filming, a customs inspector reportedly fainted upon opening their crate and discovered its contents. In addition to the notorious dye job the rats had to endure, each had to undergo spaying and neutering to control their breeding. Animal rights activists also have alleged that the rats were underfed and actually began to eat one another during the production. Fuck this, fuck oh this, my fuck, God. This, fuck this, fuck Are this, fuck this, fuck this, fuck this. I'm out. Fuck this film. They spayed and neutered hundreds of rats? That to me is like a good thing, I suppose, because spay and neuter your pets. Underfed them? But fuck that. Yeah, fuck that. That's terrible. Fuck a bunch of that. Okay. At the request of distributor 20th Century Fox, Werner Herzog produced two versions of the film simultaneously to appear to English-speaking audiences. Scenes with dialogue weren't filmed twice. Some were shot in German and some in English. I fucking knew it! Dubbing was used with the original actors in both German and English, meaning that the actors' own voices could be included in the English version of the film. Herzog himself said in May 2014 at a screening in Los Angeles that he considers the German language version to be the culturally authentic one. Okay, Werner Herzog. Casey and I stopped this film, and by Casey and I mean I, stopped this film to look for different versions because I couldn't fucking figure out if the ADR was really, really bad or if we were watching a weird, bad, dubbed film. I was very mm. confused. And for the record, ADR is when you film something and then you record the audio, the dialogue later and try to match it up with the lips as they're talking. So it looked like they just didn't care and just tossed the ADR into the scene willy-nilly. Yeah, apparently they did some lines in English and some of them in ger German and had a weird smorgasbord. Huh. I mean, I'm very confused, but I love it. Oh, Werner Herzog makes a cameo. He's the person who sticks his foot into the coffin full of no rats. No kidding. Uh-huh. Gets bit by a rat. Huh. Fuck you, Werner Herzog, for being mean to rats. Yeah. Screw you, dude. So many long, unnecessary scenes. Can we just start at the beginning where, like, the first shots in the scene were just rows and rows of dead carcasses, of mummified carcasses? And then there was... All the scenes of somebody riding into the distance on a horse or like really long boat scenes. Like these movies could be so much more concise. Renfield and the boat scene could have been cut completely out. They were unnecessary. Yeah, none of that made sense at all. Yeah, Renfield was his boss in the beginning, but that could have just been a dude that was a boss that sent him to Transylvania. Yeah. And then Renfield's this annoying, crazy guy that's just annoying. And he was bouncing. Later. He was bouncing on that bed for a real long time. Yeah, and then he gets out and goes to the count, goes to the count, and he's like, "Yeah, go north." And he's like, "Okay, bye." Like it was entirely unnecessary. Very, very unnecessary. And I, okay, I'm torn because I personally love a weird moment in a film, and that film had quite a few of them. But the plague dinner in the courtyard. Mm. slash rat party yes was my favorite so there was this moment in the film where inexplicably in, in the middle of the plague inexplicably 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 people were like dancing and feasting and having a really good time and then eventually lucy who is mina in this one somebody asks her to have a glass of wine with them and they're like we contracted plague so we're gonna have a good time while we can and then the table's covered in rats and it's, it's yeah it's and it's over off-white abused rats off-white abused rats yeah 
Also, something that did match the 1920s version of this is that the music did not necessarily support what was going on. And there were weird moments where Werner Herzog would play maybe 10 seconds of the Rheingold Symphony and then cut it cut it out again, which it's if you've ever if you've ever heard it, it's by Wagner. He writes this beautiful piece of music that has this beautiful rising feeling to it and it's like Werner Herzog just needed to keep using it I don't know why it's like a sunrise song yeah it sounds like a sunrise that he used for this droopy dog vampire yeah so I'm saying the music never matched never it was supposed to be scary and ominous and it was like the sunrise it was there's these people the music did get ominous and people were dancing and celebrating it was like make up your mind do you know what I thought was ominous I thought the sound design with just the night animals where it was silent and awkward and it was going on too long and you and I were both uncomfortable and there were also night creatures in the uh, background. I think yeah. I enjoyed that experience. Yeah, that was, you would. I would, I would. <laughs> very much so I don't did. really remember that moment. I also very much so liked Dracula's castle situation. Uh-huh. But it happened at dinner and it happened while signing Papers. It oh happened. yeah, the wolves. Yeah, the night song or like okay. hawk, yeah. bird, bat noises. Yeah, there was that very disturbing scene where a bat crawled up a curtain for a while. <laughs> Someone please help this bat. That one shot of a bat flying close to the camera happened over and over again. Let's talk about treatment of the female character as it applies to Lucy, Armina in this story, since they flipped character names for no good reason. Well, so we all know that Mina is the main lady in Dracula. So in this first silent film in 1920s, it, her name was Ellen and Mina was Lucy's role. And then in this one, Lucy was Mina and Mina was Lucy. Yes. Except everyone was happily married yeah. and wore bonnets. And wore bonnets. And so in the in the 1920 version, Ellen, who was Mina, was just like a waste of a human being. Just like the weakest, faintiest human. She was a very lovely prop. And I would say in the beginning of this film, Lucy was also a very lovely prop. She did the thing where she wakes up with her eyes are real big and she's like, I had a dream. And I was like, oh, great. We're just going to have a girl that just wakes, starts, startles awake from sleep over and over again. And Jonathan was like, I've got to go to work in Transylvania. And she was like, no, don't go. Let's go to the beach. Yeah. And then the next shot was on the beach and we didn't know if it was a flashback or if they just went to the beach. And yeah, they just took, they took a, they fucked off to the beach. Yeah. But like, she couldn't live with the idea of him being apart from her. It was pretty dumb. She had a bad feeling. She had a bad feeling. and th- But then, surprisingly, in the end of the film, she got, like, a character. Well, the a personality. Is, she read Jonathan's diary and said, this is some crazy shit. And then she read the book that Jonathan clearly put in his bag this time and didn't angrily throw at a candle or at the bed. Please check our previous episode to find out more about book throwing and prop usage in 1920 silent films. But yeah, but, like... But then she took control is what I'm saying. She took control of the situation because Dr. Van Helsink was like, no, you can't do those things. And she was like, yes, I can. Well, and he was like, you're crazy. That's ridiculous. And then a hot second later, he was like, let's use reason and look at all the facts. And And science. I fucking have, bitch. I did the research. She became really headstrong and independent. A a stark contrast to what she was at the beginning of the film. Yeah. So why it happened, I don't know. It's like like Harker was in a... fevered stupor the whole time and they're like well we better give somebody the lead role position for the second half of the film which 
I think it's because she went to that death party and everyone was dancing around and they're like, have some wine. And she's like, no, you're crazy. You're crazy. You think that's what switched her? No, not at all. I don't think, nope. I don't think that that scene made sense at all either. It got way more delightful though when she became a human. Yeah. When she became a boss. And she had great hair the whole time. Oh my gosh. Her, she was so beautiful. Her hair was so great. And this film was filmed in the eighties and her hair was crimped. Oh, so crimped. It was so crimped. It was lightly crimped. Lightly crimped, but it was definitely crimped. It was like, let's do some historically accurate hair. But then the actor, forgive me, I cannot remember her name at the moment. But she was like, can I have my hair crimped? And the makeup artist said, no, that's not accurate. She said, please, can I have my hair crimped? She said, okay, we'll crimp it. Just a little. (laughs) No one will notice, but we noticed. Let's talk about that ending. Mina Lucy Ellen reads in the vampire book that Jonathan brings back that a pure woman, this is the 1922 version, a pure woman, if she gets Dracula to suck from her neck, he'll get so distracted that when that cock crows... He'll be like, darn it, that cock crowed, and look at the sun and like, poof. Yeah, and the funny thing was, because she was such a beautiful prop in that one, that it didn't, like, she had no agency in making that decision. It's just a Dracula preyed on her necks and then got distracted because she was the hot girl. Yeah. And ignored that the sun was coming up and then died from the sun. Right. It just happened that way. And in this version, she wears all white, she uncrimps her hair. She puts rose petals on herself. Well, she you hear her make the decision. She's like, she reads the book saying a woman, pure woman can... Pure hearted this time. Thank you, Werner Herzog. Pure hearted woman will distract the vampire from the cockscrow. But I would say fuck all those other women in town, apparently. I know. That's the other thing. Like, is she the only option? Also, fuck whoever was like a pure hearted woman. Like a woman alone. Van Helsink was useless. Harker was useless. And Lucy ends up being the one that has to sacrifice herself to save everyone. By, I mean, basically she laid on a bed and got penetrated by someone who she didn't want to be penetrated by. Do I? That sounds like rape to me. It's Well, it's totally a metaphor. Well, it's a metaphor. Also pure hearted. It's nice that they said pure hearted, but that's not what they meant. Oh, and she took care of her husband who was crazy balls by that time by surrounding him with holy Eucharist crackers. And then at the end of the film... He turns out to become a vampire anyway. Yeah, he's the next Dracula. Dracula. I'm sorry, Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. Did you like this film? I mean, I liked it better than the other one, but I was still really bored. I don't know if I liked it better than the other one. I liked some wacky artistic scenes. I liked the adventure to get to Dracula's castle. I do really like that, that piece from that opera by that. The adventure to get to Dracula's castle? You mean the 15 minutes we watched yeah. walking through the wilderness? Yeah, I thought it was pretty. It was really pretty, but it was a very long time of just watching Jonathan Harker walk alone to a castle. I'm trying to think of other films that do this very long transition, pretty filmmaking and I think Werner Herzog did a lovely job of it. Like Terrence Malick, have you ever watched a Terrence Malick film? Probably. Uh, it's forever long. Same thing. Lots of beautiful transitions into another transition. Perfect. Did you like this one better? I, I, I honestly don't know. I liked this one better. I still don't think it was a great film. I, I agree to that. It also had a movie of the week vibe, which was weird. Some of the shots were clearly shot on a 1980s cell phone camera. It was very grainy all of a sudden. And then... I'm still confused about everything. When Vladimir Novikov wrote Lolita, right? Mm -hmm. From the perspective of what it would feel like to be a predator and what this predator thought and saw and felt. And Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the book, 
the person who's framing this book for you says, look, these are the letters written by a dude who we found in the hospital who died. He is an unreliable narrator and a bad, bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. That's the, the frame around Lolita. And then when Kubrick made a film about it and then all other Lolita interpretations afterwards, including book art, advertised it, they said, a modern forbidden love story. No, it's about a 40-year-old guy who rapes a 12-year-old girl. That's what Lolita's about. That's what it's about. Do you think they did that because nobody's going to voluntarily pick up a book that's about rape? I mean, I think it's one of the great novels written, arguably. It's a beautiful novel. Beautiful. I love that novel, but not because I think it's a forbidden love story. Mm -hmm. I think it articulates something really poignantly. But I guess what I'm saying is I'm fucking mad that the IMDb description sympathizes with Twilight vampires. Those vampires are the ones that were like, they're a good vampire. Yay. Yeah. Right? Nosferatu vampire is a bad vampire. Yeah. We're, we're supposed to not like him and not in that like antagonist. Oh. Right? Like we're not... We're not supposed to like him in an anti-hero way. We don't do that until Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's William Shakespeare's Dracula. Yeah. The whole point, I feel like, of Nosferatu is that he looks like a monster, acts like a monster, is a monster, and he can be as sad and like, oh, as he wants to, but he's still a monster. Yeah. I'll, well, also, it was one line thrown into a synopsis at the end I'm mad, who, I'm mad about it. Who even writes IMDb stuff? I am going to find... Is it like wiki and somebody can just get in there and update it? Probably. It, it's, like, first of all, it was inaccurate. It's something... It's so weird that it's even in the synopsis because it was like something he said twice, but every vampire from the beginning of Vampires says that. I can never die. Oh, this is my plight. So it's not like it was a new idea or anything, but it wasn't even a main part of the movie. I know. Um, let's talk about tropes. So all of these tropes were the same as the first one. I agree. Ooh, but Except we did. Two things happened. One was the he walked in front of a mirror and we didn't see his reflection. And I loved that scene. Yeah, I did too. That scene was... It was creepy. That scene was fucking great. And it really set up her because he, he said, I'll leave your husband alone if you just let me suck some love from you. And she's like, no, I think he's going to come back to me. Yeah. With love alone. He didn't, but... That didn't happen. But good on her. Um, so, yeah, you couldn't see his reflection. And then, so he died from sunlight at the end as well, but this time his body didn't vanish. He just fell to the floor and was a corpse. Yeah, he went, Ugh. I wonder if that was a budget thing. You would think in the 1920s it would be harder to make a person disappear than in 1979. Well, no, because it was like a weird in-camera effect, right? That it just... All of a sudden, he's not. He's there, and then he's not there. Grasping at straws. Anyways, I guess that's it. I'm excited to watch the sequel. Yeah, there's people. There's another Nosferatu film. Called Nosferatu in Florence? Is it in Florence? Something like that. Nosferatu in outer space, and we are excited to watch it. You're going to hear all about it. Bye, suckers. Bye, suckers! Bloodsuckers is a podcast by Little Renegade Films. It stars Casey Zanee and Sarah Marie Curry. Title and closing song are by Tosin Awofeso. Follow us on the social medias at Little Renegade Films. Thanks for listening. Rawr.